What's up, everybody? It is such a great joy to uh, give a shout out to those of you who are watching us from our San Jose campus, as well as those of you who are connecting with us from across the country and beyond vis-a-vis -vis social media. Let me begin by just saying Merry Christmas to all of you who are celebrating this sacred and precious holiday with us. Let me also give a shout out to our guests. I, I, I'm sure that among our guests are some of you, perhaps this is your first time connecting with the church, either for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And so either in our San Jose campus or online, you may have approached this with some anxiety. I pray that you have felt welcomed and loved and blessed and blessed and blessed. Praise be to God. All right. Can somebody shout, behold? Everybody say, behold. Type that in the chat if you're watching online. Behold. Let's get started with our reading today. Here's our passage from Luke chapter 2, verses 10. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, the shepherds that is, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But what's the good news? The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is, a feeding trough. God bless this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This passage begins, and if you have been with us over the last few weeks, you will recognize that the angel in this passage is speaking to shepherds when he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Can you say, Behold? Uh, behold is kind of an obsolete word in our modern English vocabulary. We don't use it a lot. But if you grew up reading the King James Version, it's very familiar to you. The word itself means to take a closer look and to see and perceive with a sense of surprise and fresh insight something that is very significant or perhaps even maybe life-transforming. Behold, the context into which the announcement of the birth of Jesus flows is a 400-year period that surrounds the nation of Israel where they have been without a prophetic voice. The voices of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos and others have fallen silent. There is no affirmation that the long-expected Messiah is still on his way. And yet, they as a nation found themselves passing from being under the control of one occupying power to the next. And in this moment, they are occupied by the Roman power. No word of the coming Messiah. Only darkness, violence, hatred, oppression over the land. It is into this context that uh, the 17th century hymn writer pins the words of the of the Christmas carol that's been humming in my heart for the last couple of weeks, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. He captures this, this, he captures this notion of the nation of Israel, waiting and hoping without any sign, but still waiting and hoping for God to come. And here's what he writes. 
Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. This is the prayer. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Oh, come, oh, bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. And yet, <laughs> there was silence. Things seemed to grow worse. I suspect there's somebody watching me today. You're familiar with this experience of praying and praying and praying, and your circumstances, your situation just seems to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It really affects our capacity to believe in God. It really impacts our ability to trust God. As a young boy growing up in Cachetta, Louisiana, uh, I always, as best as I can recall, believed in God. But I can look back over my life and identify those seasons wherein I didn't actually trust God. I found it difficult to trust God. For example, as a, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy lying on my bed, scarred, having been disowned by my biological father, father and daily rejected by my fellow students, I found myself asking, God, where are you? And when are you going to show up in my life? This is the prayer that Israel, in a sense, is praying. And yet, along the way, there would still be that whisper, don't give up, the king is coming, the king is coming. And then it happened. There was an explosion in the heavens, and, 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 and the angel showed up and began to declare these words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Can you say all the people? This is so fascinating. In other words, yes, the King, the Messiah, the Savior has come, but He has not just come for Israel. Oh, Israel is included, but he has come for every tribe, every nation, every language. He lands in Israel, but his goal is he's coming for the world. Who is the he? Oh, he's the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. This is the one that has been born in Bethlehem in the city of David. The angel says, that day. And all of a sudden, we move from declaring the king is coming, the king is coming, to declaring the king has arrived. He has come. And you will recognize him by this sign. The angel says you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in the manger. And this gets us to the very first insight that I want you to wrestle with. I call it the behold moment. And it's simply this. I behold Take a close look at two questions. Now, let me back into these two questions this way. Luke begins his narrative with the shepherds. Matthew begins his narrative with the magi. These uh, non-Jewish individuals who were thought leaders and influencers and prominent people of power and social status in their day, they come from the East. These are scientific-minded, educated folk who studied the stars and the planet, and, and, and they come to Bethlehem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw the star in, that, as it has risen, and we have come to worship him. Now, I like the way the New King James frames this. He says, 
Where is he born king of the Jews? Or you could say it like this. Where is he born king? Ah, there's a little insight right here. Let me pause. You see, Jesus was born king. He was not elected king. Come on now, he was not appointed king. He, he, his kingship does not hinge upon a vote of parliament or Congress. The babe lying in that feeding trough is king. That brings us to the very first question I want us to wrestle with. So, where is he born king in your life? What space does the one who's born king occupy in your life? What role does he play in your story? Where are the footprints of his goodness and mercy scattered across your history? Here is the insight. You say, well, I'm not a church-going person. I'm not even a Christian. Uh, I don't have the king in my life. And yet, John writes these words. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Here is the suggestion of John, that the king, Jesus, shows up in the stories and in the lives of every individual on the planet just Oftentimes, we don't recognize it. But his mercy and his grace and his love is freely at work. So I would suggest that you do a survey. Where is he born king in your story? Where is he scattered across your history? The second question is this. How will I respond to the king's invitation? Jesus' birth was in fact the echo of an invitation. What is the invitation? Jesus declares when he arrives simply as, as this, let me be your king. Ah, that's the invitation. That's the invitation that comes to every single one of us across tribes and nations, from Africa to North America to South America. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Come on now. Uh, that, 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 that sweeps across all of our lives. Let me be your king. For some of us, this request, this invitation rubs us the wrong way. Just hearing it causes some of us to feel uncomfortable and uneasy, even in our seats. Why? Why? Well, check this text out. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard, when he heard this, meaning the folk coming, asking, where is he born, the king of the Jews? And so everyone in Jerusalem became disturbed. Because they knew that when he became threatened, he ended up killing people. And so, the text says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born, this person that the Magi are talking about? And they answered him, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. And then later on, he calls the wise men back together. And, and, and the text tells us, here's what he says. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, here is the reason why many of us feel uncomfortable, even with this notion of Jesus exercising kingship over our lives. As we watch Herod operate here, we immediately see him using his power <coughs> deceptively, manipulatively, 
abusively. Ultimately, uh, he will initiate a genocide in Bethlehem trying to wipe out Jesus. And so we conclude we don't trust folk who want to be kings in our lives, even Jesus. We don't trust because we've had too many Herod experiences scattered across our history. We've encountered too many Herod, too many folk who have abused their power in our lives. For some, it's, it's, we're thinking about parents who abuse their power. For others, we're thinking about church leaders and preachers who, who use power manipulatively and destructively. For still others, we're thinking about modern-day politicians who are utilizing power only to acquire power, regardless to who they hurt or run across. And so we say, <laughs> we don't like kings. The only king that we will permit into our lives is perhaps the late king of pop, Michael Jackson, or maybe we will permit uh, 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 the, the King James, LeBron James, or maybe or oh, for sure we'll welcome Burger King. Come on, have it our way. That's the only kings we want to deal with. Come on, if you're from my era, maybe it's the old king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, we can handle that one. But, 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 but we don't want any king, even Jesus, who seeks to exercise authority in our lives because you see we just have had too many Herod experiences. We just don't think we can trust him. So, like Herod, here's Herod's response to the invitation. He says, I can't trust Jesus. In the same way, I'm interested and intrigued by the priests and the teachers of the Jewish law that Herod assembled. He asked him, do you know where this one is supposed to be born? They knew exactly the location, about 30 to 40 miles outside of Jerusalem in Bethlehem. And it's just intriguing to me that if they knew, why would they not exit and get to Bethlehem so that they would not miss the uh, most historic event of history? One, they just said where it was and stayed where they were. Maybe they just didn't care. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they were too preoccupied. Uh, 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 maybe, you know, they practiced a religion where they really didn't believe the scriptures that they read. They, 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 they really didn't believe in the prayers that they prayed. They, 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 they pretty much, perhaps they were just going through the motions of religion, having lost the meaning. I don't know. I just find it curious that they didn't care enough to go. So perhaps some of us are listening to me says, look, I can't trust Jesus to be king over my life because I've had too many Herod experiences. Others who are listening and watching me says, you know what, I can't trust Jesus to exercise any authority over my life. You know what, because I, I actually don't care about that. I'm not, in this case, I'm not religious. I'm not even like those folk, right? I'm too busy. I'm too preoccupied. I can't even relate to what you're talking about. But then there were the Magi. The Magi ultimately went and found him. The text says they worshipped him. They paid homage. They bowed down to Jesus. They surrendered to him in a wonderful way. Come on. And they reached into their treasures and they submitted to him uh, uh, treasures out of their chest of treasures. The insight here that the Magi would have us to know is that when they bowed to him, they were suggesting that they didn't just want Jesus to be king 
in their lives. They were prepared to allow Jesus to be king through their lives. That's the point, guys. That's the point. Let's return to that great hymn, O Come, Emmanuel, Come. Notice this verse. It begins to make sense to us now. O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. It is Jesus who taught those who would allow him to be king in their lives, which means they become a part of his kingdom to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The suggestion is that as I'm king in your life, I'll be king through your life, and together we will help to make an old world a new world. But the question is, can I trust King Jesus. Can I trust him? So, gentlemen, a pastor by the name of Steve Carter, he is the uh, former teaching pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. He's developed what I thought was a brilliant formula to help us to answer the question, can I trust you? Whether it is, can I trust Jesus? Can I trust my siblings or my kids or my parents or my colleagues? How do I know I can trust them? And his formula is S plus C equals T. S plus C equals T. Uh, S stands for safety. Are you safe around them? C stands for consistent. Is there a consistency about their lives? Do they say what they mean? Do they mean what they say? Not perfectly, uh, flawlessly rather, but faithfully. Uh, if you are safe around them and if they are consistent, then you can trust them. Oh, my goodness. And that brings us to the second behold moment and the final behold challenge of this message. Uh, 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 number one, I wanted you to wrestle with the two questions. Where is Jesus the King located in your life? Have you recognized him? And two, how are you responding to his invitation? I want to be king. But here is the second behold challenge that I want you to wrestle with. Take a closer look at Jesus the King. What does it mean for him to be king? That is the relevant question. And here is the understanding that truly undergirds and illuminates why I'm suggesting that Jesus is unlike any other king. Because when we deal with kings, we're wrestling with how will they use their power. But from Jesus' perspective, watch this. Love is the greatest expression of power. And power is best expressed through love. And that is what we find in Jesus. The power that he wells is the transformative power of love. Come on now. Here's what the writer of John says. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Here it is. Watch the conflation between love and God. Watch it here. I mean, love and power. Here it is. For God is love. For God is love. So let us examine. Is Jesus safe? Is Jesus consistent? 
The biblical witness would testify to the fact that he's safe and that he's consistent, that he acts out of a place of transformative love, and that his goal is to be transformative as he, as he utilizes the power of love to change your life and mine and to change life through us. The Bible suggests that he's consistent and history does not contradict it. Let's take a look at the record. <laughs> um, this one born king, come on now, a feeding trough, a manger was his royal bassinet. He chose the role of a carpenter for his royal education where he would, where he would construct and build and be a gift giver. He, he took on the role of an adopted son of Joseph so that he could model for us what obedience and trust looks like, come on now, in his kingdom. He first executed it before he asked us to follow his lead. And then once the witness Come on, of his story. He healed the sick all over the place. But then he said, no charge. He gave sight to the blind. But then he would say, no charge. He fed the hungry by the thousands for no charge. He climbed up to a rough Roman cross and entered the most egregious trauma and tragedy anyone could imagine as he took his place and died for all of us who own the fact that we are sinners. Why? So that he could become heaven's bomb for everybody, heaven's bomb of healing for everyone who is traumatized and the victim of great tragedy. And he did it for no charge. And he went into the grave and took the experience of permanent death and transformed it into a temporary experience. This is the one that we call king. This is the one that I say you can trust. This is the one that I say is safe. This is the one that I say that Jesus operates the same way all of the time. This is the one that we declare is king. Oh, as I close, let me borrow and readapt, if you will, the words of the late Reverend S.M. Lockridge. As we ask the question, we think about Jesus. Is he trusting? Can I trust him? Where the deeper question is, what kind of king is Jesus after all? And, 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 and here's the answer. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. What kind of king is he? He supplies strength to the weak, forgives sinners, discharges debtors, what kind of king is he? He delivers the captives, defends the feeble, blesses the young, respects and regards the elderly, serves the unfortunate. What kind of king is this Jesus anyway? His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and just. What kind of king is this Jesus that we are talking about? Well, he makes no false promises. He writes no bounce checks. He sacrificed his all so you could trust him with your everything. <laughs> this makes him indescribable and incomprehensible, invincible and irresistible. As a matter of fact, I just want to step out and say, he is my king. And I vouch for him. 
You can trust him. You see, at the end of the day, what the world will discover, you can't outlive him, but you can't live without him. The scriptures declares the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find fault in him, but Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. And I'm telling you, you can trust him. The baby born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a feeding trough. He's God's son, the king of Israel, the king of the ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and lords of lords. And I declare he's my king, and I just want to suggest you can trust him. So let me repray the prayer once again that is nestled in that beautiful hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But this time, I'm going to pray it not as an outsider, as one who's non-Jewish. I'm going to pray it as an insider, come on, as one who's, who's a part of Jesus' kingdom. And this is the prayer that we pray. O come, O King of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. The baby lying in the feeding trough, well, he says to you and to me, let me be your king, your king of peace. And so I ask you, how will you respond?